So if you were not here the last couple weeks, we've been talking about Jonah. And if you don't know the story of Jonah, um, there's kind of some interesting parts in it. Most people think about this whale or a fish and somebody gets swallowed up and that's kind of the... But that's actually not the main point or not uh, like the overarching uh, point of the story. Uh, It's much more interesting than that. There's much more profound truths that we can apply to our life and and learn about God. Um, But kind of the big picture of the story of Jonah is that Jonah was a guy like you and I who at one point in his life decided to run away from God. Now, you might be a church person and you've grown up your whole life in the church and uh, you've been here and if you're like me, you've been here pretty much, um, you've been here every weekend of your life. And you think about different seasons of your life, and maybe, yes, you had a season in which you walked away from God, and maybe you're starting to come back, and this is part of your journey back. But there's some of you, you have never gone to church before in your entire life. In fact, you're not sure how you got here tonight. You just ended up here because there was someone who was cute who invited you, and you will do anything to impress them, all right? And I get that. And, and you would think, I've never run away from God because I don't even know if God exists. I'm not even sure if there is this person called God. And, and I would be willing to bet that you have run away from, and you may not consider this to be God, but I think that you've run away from at least, the very least, your conscience. As you have known that you were supposed to be or you're supposed to do certain things in your life, and you did not do those things, okay? Whether you believe in God or not, humans across the globe have experienced this. And so I think that you would follow into the same category that Jonah falls into, that the rest of us fall into, which is we all have run away from God, or we've at least run away from our conscience, knowing what we should do or or who we should be. And so kind of the background is um, that uh, Jonah has been called by God to go to the city of Nineveh. And uh, for those of you who have been here, tell me a little bit about Nineveh. What have we learned so far about the place? It's crazy. They're ruthless. It sucks. Very, you guys are very fluent, right? This is good. Yeah, what? Volatile, Volatile, okay. What else? Land of sin. sin. What are they famous for? Torturing people, skinning people alive. Yes, okay, so they're not good people. They're not people you want to go hang out with, all right? And so uh, where Jonah is from, he's from Israel, and these are kind of the chosen people of God. He is called to go to this place called Nineveh, and these people are not nice people, and they're especially not nice to people of Israel. These, they're, they're enemies. So he goes, and he is called to go and tell these people who are his enemies, who are violent, nasty people, you guys need to straighten up because a God that you don't even believe in is going to bring judgment upon you unless you turn away from what you are doing. Now, you can imagine that Jonah is not excited about having to do this. Because if you know anything about the Bible, these people called prophets who are called by God to deliver a message, it usually does not end up well for them. The best that they can hope for is that the people turn around and they do what he says. But there are tons of examples of prophets who, uh, who get tortured, who get killed, who uh, do not see, um, who do not, are not received well. And so he's pretty nervous about going there. In fact, not only is he nervous about going to this place, but instead of heading towards Nineveh, he runs in the exact opposite direction. And this is where he finds himself on a boat, eventually thrown overboard, swallowed by a fish, and he's in there for three days until he finally says to God, all right, I surrender, I wave my white flag, I'm not running anymore, I'm going to do what you told me to do. And so we learned a couple things about God through this story so far. First thing that we learned is you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. 
You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. That eventually your path is going to cross with God's. He will allow you to run. He gives us a thing called free will. He lets us make our own choices. But eventually, he will get our attention one way or another. The other is that God is generous in his grace, but is thorough in his discipline. And we don't really like this idea of God, but if you think about it, this is who we want God to be. Because if you have uh, ever had a parent who has disciplined you, Hopefully, the reason why they disciplined you is not because they are vindictive or not because they're sadistic or it's because they want to help you avoid the consequences of your decisions. They discipline you in order to get your attention to save you from something. And that's exactly what we've learned about God is that because he loves us, he will discipline us, not so that he can pay us back, but so that he can win us back. And that's exactly what we see happening to, uh, to Jonah. And so, uh, we, we, we left off where Jonah finally surrenders. He says, okay, God, I'm going to follow you. I'm going to do what you want me to do. And then the fish literally vomits him out onto the shore. And what's interesting here is there is a parallel that's taking place. Is There's a parallel in the New Testament. And if you're not a Bible person, the New Testament was written Jesus and after. And so it's about 750 years after Jonah's story that Jesus comes on the scene and he starts telling people about himself and the kingdom of God. And he does these things where he tells parables. And parables are uh, made up stories with a point, usually a moral point or a spiritual point, something that he's trying to explain about God and faith. And we see this really, really famous story that Jesus tells 750 years later. And it is a direct parallel, and many people don't see it. And so if you didn't see this, don't feel bad. Most people miss this. It's a direct parallel between the story of Jonah and the, and the, the parable of the prodigal son. Now, if you don't know what the parable of the prodigal son is, and by the way, we're going like to kind of have a few stories intertwine, and so if you get lost along the way, don't feel bad. Um, we're going we're gonna to try to unravel this. All right, so here's the parable of the prodigal son. The parable, parable of the prodigal son is a son who asks his father for his inheritance, and then he goes off and he spends it on women and wine. He lives crazy. He goes to Vegas. He lives it up. He gets the VIP suites. He's popping bottles. He's doing his thing until he runs out of money. And then at, at this point of the story, he hits rock bottom to where he has nothing left to his name. He has no dignity. He is uh, he's pretty much at the end of his rope. And the only thing that he can think to do is he needs to go back to his father and beg for forgiveness. And so we find out in the story that that's exactly what uh, he does. He humbly asks for forgiveness, and he's assuming that his father is going to punish him and discipline him and all these things. And, but we learn that the father accepts the son back, in fact, throws a big party for him. And Jesus is telling us that this is how God views us. That we who are rebels, we run away from him. When we repent and we come back, that he celebrates and he embraces us. But in this story, there's a second character. And so if you haven't found the correlation, that was the first half of Jonah. Jonah was the prodigal son, right? He believed that he knew better. He believed that he can go his own way. And so he runs away from God only to hit rock bottom and eventually surrender and have to come back. That's the story of the prodigal son. But here's what's crazy is there is a second half to the story of the prodigal son. It involves an older brother. And there is a second half to Jonah's story as well. And they are a direct parallel. And so we're going to look at the story um, where Jonah now switches from being the prodigal son running away from God to being the son who is self-righteous, who thinks that he is, is better than everybody else and he doesn't need God's uh, forgiveness. 
So here we go. Jonah uh, chapter 3, if you have your Bibles, we'll jump into there. Jonah chapter 3, verse 1. Here's what it says. Then the uh, word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed, and the word of the Lord went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very important city. A visit, requ- uh, a visit required three days. Jonah is given a... Uh, okay, so let me stop there. So Jonah's given a second chance which is really good news for all of us because not only are we people that need second chances because we have a hard time listening to God, but we need third, fourth, fifth. We need, we need an unlimited amount of chances because we're going to screw it up. And so we kind of get these different characters or characteristics of God. We see that he disciplines, but we also see that he's full of grace. We also see that he's a person who gives us second chances, which means he is patient. And so we're starting to get a more full picture of who God is through this story. So uh, Jonah heads to Nineveh, which is about 550 miles away. It would take him a few weeks to get there. And so he goes there. And if you don't know the lay of the land, it's in the Middle East. So it's hot, it's grimy. It is not a place that you want to hang out. And so he finally arrives at Nineveh and he's probably pretty afraid at this point because he knows he's about to stand up, just one man in front of a nation of thugs. And he's about to say, look, you guys need to turn away from your awful behavior. And he's got to stand there by himself and give him this message. So he gives him the message. He says, repent, because in 40 days, God is going to send people to conquer you if you don't turn away from your wickedness and violence. And then the strangest thing happened. They listened. So here's what it says in verse 5. The Ninevites uh, believed God. They declared a fast, and all of them, from the greatest to the least, put on sackcloth. When the news reached the king of Nineveh, he rose from his throne, took off his royal robes, covered himself with sackcloth and sat down in the dust. And so he delivers this message and they actually listened. Maybe it was a miracle. Maybe they just wised up for a moment, but they said, we believe that there is a God out there who is going to judge us for what we have done. And so we're going to turn away from our sin. We're going to ask this God for forgiveness. And so you would think that this is... um, Oh, by the way, the king makes a decree, says this, he says, let everyone call urgently on God. Let them give up their evil ways and their violence. Who knows? God may yet relent uh, and with compassion turn his fierce anger so that we will not perish. When God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways, he had compassion and not bring upon them the destruction he had threatened. And so if this were a story that we would write, um, or a story that someone would make up, this would be the ending, right? Jonah screws up, he repents, he surrenders to God, he goes, and because of this, all these people are saved. Ta-da! Put a ball on it, boop, end. But this is only half the story, because the story continues on, which is just another reason why when you read the Bible, if you're reading it with a critical eye, I think, this is not how I would write this story. <laughs> if I were going to make up something, I would not make this up. This is not a pretty story. In fact, you're going to be pissed at the ending of this story, which is not, not a great way if you're trying to uh, gather followers. So God sends Jonah, uh, gives him a second chance, but the story continues. Here's what it says. Oh, wait, let me tell you this first. We're going to find out in the second half of the story um, why Jonah didn't want to go to Nineveh. And it wasn't just because he was afraid. That, of course, was a part of it, but there was something deeper happening here. And this is where we get into the older brother part of the parable. So here's what he says in verse 4, 1. It says this, But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. So he thought, wait a minute. 
I went, I told these people that God would forgive them if they turned around, if they, they changed their attitude. They did, and now Jonah is pissed that they turned around. Now, practically speaking, this is kind of strange, because think about it. These people were enemies of Israel. They would attack them. They would do awful things to them. And now they're saying that they're going to stop doing those things. You would at least think, okay, they're not going to attack us anymore. At least we have a little bit of safety now. They've got a ceasefire. We don't have to worry about them. But that's not what his attitude is. Because, and we're going to see in a moment, Jonah is a lot like you and I especially those of you who consider yourself a good person. And I, what's crazy is I rarely meet people who don't consider themselves good people. No matter what they've done, what kind of life they live, my heart, it's good, right? I'm like, have you met a bad person before? This is crazy. Well, this is for all of those who consider themselves good people, especially church-attending Christian people who know all the worship songs and who sing along. This is a message for us. Because what we're going to find out about Jonah and what we're going to find out about the parable where the older brother isn't pleased that the younger brother has come home is going to be something that probably lands right in most of our kitchens. Continues on. He prayed to the Lord, O oh Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? That, uh, that is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. And so he says, you know, I knew, God, that you were going to do this. It's just like you. You go around forgiving people who repent. I don't understand it. Do you not see me? I'm a good religious person. I show up to church all the time. And then somebody who's lived a reckless life, they come along and say sorry. And you just say, mm, I forgive you. He's kind of pissed about this. Continues on. He says, I knew that you were a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sending calamity. Why won't you bring fire upon these people's heads? Have you ever felt that before? I mean, is that just me? Is there somebody in your life where you're just like, Lord, just, oh, I mean, if you could just bring lightning down on them, if you could have them trip in front of a bus, at whatever, okay? I don't care how it happened, just make it happen, God. You see, you're laughing because it's you. You've done it today. So he's, he's pissed because... His enemy is now being offered forgiveness for all the things that they have done. And he doesn't agree with it. He thinks that these people deserve punishment. Which, for the select few of us who realize that we're not necessarily good people, is good news. Is that these people who are very far away from God, who, who deserve this judgment and this punishment, they've done some evil, gross things, are never too far away from God's love that they can be reconciled, that they can be forgiven if they will turn to him. Continues on, now, O Lord, take away my life, for it is better for me to die than live. Okay, I gotta be honest, when I read this, I thought, are you like a junior high girl, Jonah? I just, I wanna die, I'm so mad. It's like, okay, Jonah, you're being a little, you're being a little dramatic there, homeboy. Like, let's, let's relax here, okay, I get it. You're angry. But let's, uh, let's give him some credit, all right? Let's just imagine, let's put ourselves in Jonah's place, and let's imagine that um, there is someone in our life that has done something horrible to us. And hopefully this has never happened to you, but let's imagine. If something bad has happened to you or to your family, somebody just did something just awful. And you can just imagine how angry and bitter and how much revenge you would want on this person. And so think about that person for a moment, and now think that God has called you to go to them and offer them forgiveness. Say, you know what? 
not only do I forgive you, but if you will ask for God's forgiveness, you can have eternal life. Think about that for a moment. Yeah, that would be not only difficult, I might want to, I would much rather probably die than have to do that because there's something inside of us that says, oh, I don't want to deal with this. Oh, you don't deserve it. There is nothing in you or about you that deserves forgiveness. Not from me, not from God, not from anybody because you are a horrible person. And so Jonah's not like that far off. He's not that crazy. Yes, he's wrong, but I think it's something that all of us would probably struggle with because here's what Jonah believed. He believed that he was better than them. He believed that he deserved God's forgiveness and they didn't. That he was worthy of God's forgiveness and they weren't. And see, this is the problem that all of us struggle with. This is something that all of us have a hard time with because we talked about this last week is we really want God to judge those who are evil. Hitler, yes, judge him. Stalin, get him, you know? Those who people who park in handicap and are not them too, right? Like, oh, we just start naming off all the people, and then we can go down the line, and then when we get to us, we go, that's the cutoff. We're good here, okay? This is where God's judgment turns to love, because it's roses. And see, it's because we all have this thing inside of us that we want to justify ourselves, that we want to believe that we are righteous, that those people, those are bad people, but me, I'm a good person. Yeah, maybe I do some things that I shouldn't do sometimes, but I have, and I always, I always want to ask people when they say this, what they mean is, I have a good heart. What does that mean, even? You feel good about your heart? I don't, that doesn't make any sense to me. And because all of us want to believe that we are more like Jesus than we are like Stalin. And yet, if we were to look at the scriptures, it says that, you know, you're more like a Stalin. You're more like a serial killer than you are Jesus. And that's almost offensive to some of you. Is you in your mind go, oh, gosh, now he's just overstating it to make a point. No, I'm not. The scripture is pretty clear that you and I are much more like the person on death row than we are Jesus. Is if you look at perfection and then you look at us, we're a lot closer to those people who are locked up for the rest of their life than than Jesus. And there's something in us that says, no, not me. <laughs> it's not me. It can't be me that you're talking about because I'm a good person. Well, that's exactly who Jonah said he was, is he missed the whole purpose of grace. Because grace is that God forgives us when we ask for forgiveness, not because there is anything in us or about us that deserves his forgiveness, simply because it is a gift that he is offering us. There's nothing we can do. But we and maybe if you're a church person, you would say, okay, I believe that, I affirm that, yes, I, I check yes on the quiz, uh-huh, but when we start to apply it in real time to our life and to other people's, there's somehow a cutoff point where you can be so bad and I can be so good that you don't deserve it, and I do, and yet we've missed the whole point that there is nothing we can do to earn God's forgiveness. It's simply a gift that we have to receive. And so God asked Jonah, verse 4, but the Lord replied, have you any right to be angry? See, what God is pointing out here is, wasn't it just a few weeks ago that you were the one who was in trouble? You needed my kindness. You needed my forgiveness. You needed my grace. If I remember, you were in the belly of a fish and you were going, God, I surrender. I screwed up. I ran the other way when you called me. And now that I've, you've received that forgiveness, you don't want anyone else to have it? Oh, you still think that you're better than them. <laughs> you still think that you deserve this. You're, you're still missing the point. Well, Jonah doesn't answer. 
Instead, he goes up on a hill overlooking Nineveh. And the reason he does this is because um, he's sitting there and he's watching and he's hoping that God's going to change his mind. He's, he's hoping that God's going to realize these are really bad people. And yes, they said that they repent and that they're not going to do it anymore, but that's not going to last long. And so he sits back and he's hoping that God is somehow going to rain down fire. He's going he's to judge these people. And so he sits there above the city and he's watching. And remember, this is the Middle East. This is not a cool place to hang out. This is, it's pretty nasty. And so he's sweating. He's dusty. He, he, he's, he's not enjoying himself. And so what God does is, and this is kind of funny, is God, uh, and this is, it's miraculous, is he, he sends this vine to grow up. It's kind of like a leafy plant. And it grows up and it covers Jonah in shade. And in that moment, Jonah just says, oh, thank you, God. I love it. This is awesome. It's exactly what I needed. It's, almost like, it's like a spa day, you know? And so he's sitting there. And then he falls asleep. God sends a worm to eat it, and it dies, and he wakes up the next day, and it's gone, and then the heat is more intense than it was before. And he's going, Lord, why? Right? And he's freaking out, and then the Lord sends this burning hot, like, wind, and it's probably a sandstorm, and he's like, ah, I'm exfoliating, you know? And it's just the whole thing, right? And so he's just angry. He's bitter. He is not enjoying himself whatsoever. And so uh, here's what happens in verse 9. But God said to Jonah, do you have a right to be angry about the vine? <laughs> this is Jonah's response. I do. <laughs> what the? All right, Jonah, you're asking for it, buddy. And he says, I am angry enough to die. God, he's so dramatic. But the Lord said, you have been concerned about this vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and died overnight. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell the right hand from their left, and many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And so he says, look, and he uses the same word. He says, you are concerned more about this comfort, this little bit of shade that you had, than all the people who are going to be lost. Now, hopefully this isn't lost on you, is he says the same thing to us. You're more concerned about a little bit of comfort than you are all of these lost people. And this is where the story ends. I told you, you'd be pissed, right? That's it? What happens after this? What does Jonah say? What does God do? What, how, what is the next thing that takes place in this story? Well, we find that there's a lot of parallels between the prodigal son story and this story, except I think the ending diverges a little bit. They both end with cliffhangers with a big question mark. What happens next? How does, how does Jonah respond? How does the older brother respond? And I think these two different responses are kind of an invitation for us. And so let me see if I can kind of uh, tease this out a little bit. Is the point that is being made in this story is that Jonah is far more concerned with himself than he is with anybody else. If you look at Jonah, he is more interested in what Jonah wants than what God wants, which is true of all of us, right? Cody is way more concerned with what Cody wants most of the time. What Cody wants is, Cody wants certain goals, and he has certain aspirations, and he has certain things that he wants to have lined up in his life. And so most of the time, most of, I would say probably 90% of my thoughts are about what does Cody want and what does Cody need? And I would assume that you are the same. Same is true of Jonah. Jonah is all about Jonah. But God says, you know, um, you have to stop being concerned 
about what you're concerned about and start being concerned about what I'm concerned about. And so what is God concerned about? People who are far off from him. People who are far off from him. God is concerned about our friends and our family and our classmates, our neighbors, uh, even those people whom we dislike the most and we kind of sort of hope that they trip in front of a bus. Even those people are the people that God is concerned about. And so here's the danger for us that are like Jonah and like the older brother and the prodigal son, is those of us who consider ourselves Christians, who are good people, is we can oftentimes confuse following God's rules with following his heart. That somehow we think because we follow the rules of God that we know the heart of God. But what happens is we will follow the rules, but we will ignore the heart that God has for people. And so we're going to do all the right things. We're going to be the right people. We're going to make sure that we ever have everything lined up and we're in the Bible studies and we're doing it. But if we do all of those things, but we're not concerned about what God is concerned about, we've missed it. In fact, that's who Jesus was talking about in the prodigal son story. And so um, if we go to the New Testament, we see that Jesus is talking about the prodigal son, and he gives these two sons, right? He gives the, the younger son who goes, he runs off, he rebels, he does crazy things. He comes back, he asks for forgiveness, and he's forgiven. And that's all of our story at one point in our life. But then there's the second part, which is the older brother who watches this whole scene happen, and he's getting pissed because he says, I followed all the rules. I've been here the whole time. I was at church. I did the Bible studies. I sang the songs. And yet you're just going to go and forgive this person who lived this crazy life, and then what do I get? And so this is where this story diverges a little bit. And this is where it kind of gets challenging for some of us who, uh, who consider ourselves Christians. Is in Jonah's ending... We don't, have, uh, we don't have it spelled out what Jonah says. We don't know what Jonah says in the end. But I think if we read between the lines, we can get a little insight into how Jonah responds. So God challenges him. You're more concerned about yourself and your own comfort than you are about lost people. Well, here's the question. There's no ending. That's how it ends. But how do we know the story? How would we know the story of Jonah? Well, the only way that we would know the story of Jonah is if Jonah told the story. He's the only one in it. He's the only one that knows what's going on. And so Jonah tells this story, and you know why he tells this story? He looks like a complete jerk in this story, right? Every, he, is, he, he does not come out looking good in this story. And the only way that he would tell this story is if he's saying, look, here's how I screwed up, and I have turned my life around. I am now a part of the mission that God has in the world. Because right? nobody tells a story of when they screwed up and they're still a screw-up right? Nobody does that. But see, the story of the prodigal, totally different. When the father is sitting with the older brother who is angry because his younger brother has been forgiven, and because he feels like he's self-righteous and deserves something from his father, who is uh, representing God in the story, here's what the last two verses say. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate, celebrate and be glad because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. Again, this is the same message. You're more concerned about you than you are with lost people. You think that you deserve something. You think that you have somehow earned my favor and forgiveness, but you haven't. Your heart is not concerned about the things my heart is concerned about. And somehow you think that you deserve something that you don't really deserve. And so this story, that's how the prodigal story ends. It's just, wait a minute, what happens? How does he respond? What does the older brother say? Does he, does he repent? Does, what, what goes on? It's just like Jonah. 
But here's the crazy thing. We know how the story ends of the prodigal son as well. We know what the older brother does. And everything in us wants it to be a happy ending because we watch Disney movies and that's how Disney movies end. Everything ends up, yay! But that's not always how life ends. And so if you fast forward, and if we were going to write the story, we'd probably write something like, you know, the older brother fell to his knees and he said to his father, I have sinned against you. I am so sorry. Give me hugs and kisses forever and ever, right? Or whatever, all right? And then they have a party and everybody's good and then the end. But that's not what happens. Because when Jesus tells the story, he's telling it as an invitation. He's saying, those of you who think you deserve God's forgiveness, those of you because you follow the rules think that somehow you deserve eternal life, you're like the older brother. You don't deserve it at all. You need to have a heart change. You need to start being concerned about the things that God is concerned about. And so he leaves as an open invitation. In those days, the religious leaders were listening. These were the Pharisees. And he says, here's you. You're the older brother. What are you going to do with this information? And you fast forward a couple chapters later, and here's how that story ends. The brother, in an angry rage, picked up a piece of lumber and beat his father to death in front of everyone. That's how the prodigal ends. The brother doesn't repent, so Jonah does. Jonah goes one way and says, you know what? You're right. I don't deserve this. I need to have a heart for those who are far away from God. I don't deserve it anymore uh, than anybody else. But the prodigal, the older brother, fast forward, they end up putting Jesus on the cross. And they say, we don't want to stand or kneel before you and ask for forgiveness. In fact, we're going to put you to death. And that's how they decide to end the story. Now, of course, we know that Jesus has a different ending. They thought that was the end of Jesus' story. But we know that the real ending was kind of the sequel, the follow-up, the you thought it was over, but the encore is here ending, which is they put Jesus to death, and then he rises three days later, and that's where the real invitation comes in, is we get to decide, okay, will we accept his forgiveness? Will we realize that um, we don't deserve it? Will we realize that our heart needs to be concerned about those who are far away from him? And so then he leaves an open invitation for everyone after that. What will you decide? And so here's my challenge for you as we wrap up this series, and I think hopefully I'm going to, yep, I'm going to end a little early, is which of those stories do you want to be yours? Do you want to be like Jonah where you look back and maybe you've run from God and you've been running for a really long time and, you, and maybe you're experiencing some of the consequences and you go, okay, it's time to put my white flag out because I don't want to do this anymore. I need to surrender. Or maybe you're like Jonah in the second part of the story in which you realize that you've been following all the rules and you've been doing all the motions, but your heart isn't concerned about the things that he's concerned about. And so you need to repent from that. And you need to say, okay, God, you know what? I want you to break my heart and make me concerned about the things that you're concerned about. The people around me that you see as your sons and daughters that I just blow off and I don't care about, I want to start seeing those people with your eyes. Or will you be like the older brother? And you say, I'm not interested. I don't want this invitation. I say no to this invitation. All of us have that choice. All of us get to decide who will we be in this story. And so my prayer for you, of course, is that if you've never made that decision, that you would decide, you know what, I surrender my life. It's up to you. I don't want to deal with this anymore. I want you to be in control. 
My prayer for a lot of you guys is that you would take this very seriously. And I've said this over and over again, is that you have an opportunity, unlike opportunities that you will ever have again, where you get to influence people's lives, not just for eternity, some pie in the sky, oh, salvation. That's all 100% true, and I think that's our hope. But you get to also see some incredible change that happens here and now. The people that your friends are going to marry, the families that they're going to have, the lives that they're going to live are all just beginning, and you get to help them decide what that's going to look like. If you will step out and you will say, hey, I want to have a heart for the things that God has a heart for. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for... uh, We thank you for the scriptures. We thank you for the story uh, of Jonah in which we get to discover maybe some new truths. Um, We maybe had a version in our mind of what this story was about. And as we dig a little bit deeper and we try to look at what the story is truly about, we oftentimes find ourselves in the middle of this story. Sometimes it's because we are far away from you and we are running and maybe we're experiencing some of the consequences of running from you. And it's time for us to surrender. Some of us, it's because we've been following the rules and yet we have had a heart that is not concerned about the things you care about, but about the things we care about. And so we need a little heart check. We need our, our lives to, to, to be shaken up a little bit. We need our, our hearts to be broken for those people who don't know you, especially the ones that you have put directly in our, our sphere of influence in our lives. And so, Lord God, we just thank you for this place, for these people, for this community, and for In-N-Out Burger. Amen. Amen.